Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick. Chapter 2 The Walls, the Wainscot, and the Mouse. The bookshop walls were crumbling. Aziraphale had never particularly noticed this before, but then he'd never particularly had the time or the inclination. He wasn't even sure he could jog it up to time or inclination, in fact, given that he was, right now, three sheets to the wind and attempting to explain this to Crowley. "'But I like your walls,' protested Crowley. He wasn't drunk enough to hiss, not yet, which was mildly disappointing. There was something endearing about the tendency. "'Whatever for?' Aziraphale asked, indignant, and half of what had been intended for his mouth went down the front of his shirt. He'd leave it for the dry cleaners to quarrel with. They have, uh... Crowley said, wagging his index finger at the article he seemed to wish to name, but couldn't. That thing, mauve, moulded, has got flowers on, you know. Wainscots sighed Aziraphale, refilling Crowley's glass. And it's moulding, I fear. The demon's yellow eyes widened a little, as if, in his present state, he'd forgotten they were perfectly capable of doing so without lifting the bottle. He'd abandoned his sunglasses about an hour ago, as Aziraphale had kept complaining of the glare. Also, his drunken expressions were priceless. Replace it. Crowley suggested, in a rare moment of lucidity. They've got a special on at B&Q. Couldn't possibly, Aziraphale muttered. I'd know it was a sham. And this is a listed property. You've got funny ideas about deteriorating, um, interior decorating. Rub it in, why don't you? Lamented Aziraphale. Since you're so bloody good at it. No, I'm not, Crowley insisted. Besides, my flat's about as tired as your shop. Aziraphale frowned. But I thought you liked my... I do, said Crowley quickly with a touch of guilt. Better than mine, anyway. Right. Aziraphale tapped his chin. A bit more wine ought to do the trick. Clearly, dear boy, we're in a sorry state of affairs with regard to our respective residences. Crowley nodded morosely into his glass. The carpet mocks me. Whether it had to do with the hissing or the fact that Crowley looked utterly miserable, Aziraphale couldn't rightly say. However, what he did know was that this was simply not on and that something had to be done about it. Sooner. Not later, perhaps even immediately. We ought to relocate, Aziraphale suggested. As in leave London? asked Crowley, as if such a thing were inconceivable. Well, yes. It would entail packing up, or, if you like, paying someone else to pack you up, and making a fresh start, somewhere they don't know you. Angel, this is London. Nobody knows me, or you, for that matter. I think you would be surprised, said Aziraphale carefully. 
He was dimly aware that this was territory that perhaps required more gravity than they were giving it, and so he sobered up just enough to realise that Crowley's eyes were the slightest bit manic, even afraid. Crowley chewed on his lower lip and then glanced up, nervously tapping his glass. You're saying we should both go? Aziraphale blinked. As far as he was concerned, that wasn't even negotiable. Of course. What did you think I was saying? Well, there was you this and you that, I thought. Yes, but in general terms. What I said first was that we ought to relocate. Crowley's colour had gone back to normal, as if he'd seen the merit in sobering up himself. You do realise, he said slowly, that we've made an awfully big decision whilst inebriated. Nothing is set in stone, replied Aziraphale reasonably. We might change our minds. Might, Crowley echoed, regarding his sunglasses. He put them on. As far as location, what did you have in mind? I veto Yorkshire and the entirety of Wales. Aziraphale spluttered. But Langollen... No. Fine. What about Scotland? Edinburgh is all right. And Inverness might be worth the mischief. Those poor tourists, Aziraphale groaned. Crowley, really? He grinned, abashed, not snake-like in the least. That was worth a shot. Cornwall? Aziraphale thought about that for a few seconds and then shook his head. I quite fancy Dublin. There's a lot of excellent property sitting empty. Mm, too volatile, said Crowley. I wouldn't invest. Choosy, Aziraphale muttered. What's that leave us? Well, you can never go wrong with a seaside cottage, can you? Perhaps Cornwall's a good choice after all. Crowley traced patterns on the table, as if trying to remember something. But too fashionable now that you mention it. But you mentioned it! Never mind, Crowley said, snapping his fingers. South Downs. There are some pockets of not too trendy if you look hard enough, and you can see France on a clear day. I thought you were all in favour of trendy, said Aziraphale. Crowley wrinkled his nose. Trendy things, yes. But have you got much experience with trendy people? Aziraphale smirked behind his hand. I'm faking it. Crowley snapped. There's a difference. Anyway, that's where I'd go. Then let's, said Aziraphale, converting the smirk effortlessly into a smile. Kitchen, said the estate agent, stepping over the fine line between hardwood and tile as if superstitious. As you can see, the window over the sink affords an absolutely lovely view. Oh, that's perfect, Aziraphale practically cooed. My dear, won't you have a look? Crowley wrinkled his nose and stepped up beside him. Bit small, he said. The window, I mean. The master bath off the bedroom's just stunning, said the estate agent, as if she'd just been handed the key to clinching this sale. If you'll follow me this way. No, Crowley said. I'd rather not. 
Let's have a look outside, Angel, he added, because really it had been happening since time out of mind, and by now it was patently ridiculous. Best just to play along and let people think what they wanted to think, and try not to think about it. They'd chosen a bad day for viewing. The sky was a muddled shade that Crowley suspected he ought to like, but didn't. The back patio became a sort of boardwalk and meandered towards where the grassy embankment dropped off. The sand was white and crisp in spite of the overcast pall that made the sea and sky seem to fade together. "'It'll be no trouble, of course,' said Aziraphale, staring out over the choppy waves. "'I rarely indulge in sleep. You may do with the bedroom as you please.' Crowley shoved his hands deep in his pockets and stared at his feet. We're really going to do this, aren't we? Of course we are, said Aziraphale, turning to beam at the estate agent who had finally caught up with them. Are there any structural issues we ought to be aware of? For 1920s construction, it's quite sound, the young woman reassured him, running her expensive pen down her cheap clipboard. It's been renovated several times by past owners. The boiler's in a bit of a state, but... That can be replaced before you move in. Please, said Crowley acidly. Some of us appreciate hot water. There now, Aziraphale said, patting his shoulder. We'll be all sorted. You'll take it then? Asked the estate agent, entirely too hopeful for Crowley's liking. Of course we will, Crowley snapped. Make an offer, that is. The young woman blanched. What he means, Aziraphale said, is that he's sure that extra 5,000 is merely a formality, and that being done away with, we are more than happy to go through with it. I'll contact the owner and get back to you, said the estate agent, slightly crestfallen. Two hours later, as they were sitting in a beachfront cafe, sipping hot cocoa and enjoying still more views of the dismal weather, Crowley's mobile rang. He answered and said, Mm-hmm, a lot, in response to the young woman's excited whittering, mostly to savour the experience of Aziraphale sitting forward in his seat and biting his flawless nails. Crowley finally hung up and sighed. Well? Aziraphale asked. We can drop by and fill out the paperwork today, Crowley said. As if the silly grin weren't bad enough, Aziraphale actually squeaked. Oh, Crowley, he said once he'd recovered himself. Well done. You're a much better negotiator than I've given you credit for. I'm assuming you can pay for your half straight up. Nothing dodgy on the books. Of course not, said Aziraphale primly. And of course I can. Well then, we'd best get a move on. Crowley replied, rising. He left a fiver on the table. The service wasn't what I'd call stellar, Aziraphale said, rather too loudly on the way out. It's not about the service, Crowley said. It's about forging connections. Oh, said Aziraphale. Oh, right, since we're going to be locals and all that. And all that, Crowley echoed, sliding uneasily into the driver's seat. Yeah. What bothered him wasn't the swiftness with which it had happened, or even the relative ease. It was how curiously much he wanted it. 
how easily he'd agreed. The installation of Crowley's furniture was, to say the least, a nightmare. As much as you can't bear to part with it, said Aziraphale, watching the movers struggle to find a proper angle for the unwieldy piece, I'm afraid it's got to go. Never, Crowley said, folding his arms and squinting at the door frame disapprovingly. We've got history, that sofa and me. They'll squeeze it through. Sure enough, they did. Just barely. Crowley's book, cassette, CD, LP and DVD collections came next in a series of neatly labelled boxes. The potted plants Crowley carried in himself, having preferred to transport them in the back seat of the Bentley instead of trusting them to the vagaries of a moving van. Aziraphale's books came after that. They were all he'd brought. We'll need more shelves said Crowley, frowning, once the movers had cleared out. We'll need climate control, Aziraphale muttered. Maybe that spare room near the end of the hall. What? That's my office. But where will I put mine? Uh, in the bedroom, said Crowley absently. It's not as if you'll wake me. Very funny, Aziraphale said. You'll wake up and natter at all hours. Crowley scowled at him and bent to open the nearest box. What makes you think that? You're a light sleeper. How'd you know? Wait, don't answer that. Aziraphale sighed and wandered into the sitting room, inspecting the damages. Crowley's sofa was over large, but it didn't make moving about impossible. A few of his plants had already found a home on the coffee table, and he'd placed the remainder on the dusty window sills. Crowley was neither a skilled interior decorator nor a logical one. Hey, would you look at this? It's that espresso machine you bought me two Christmases ago. Put it in the kitchen, said Aziraphale. I'll fight with the instruction manual later. Crowley hummed contentedly as he sauntered past with the box under one arm. Aside from the master bath, one of the bedroom's more redeeming features was, in fact, the presence of built-in shelves. They lined half of the same wall as the spacious closet, and there were more in the spare room he'd convert into his office. He'd worry about climate control later. Unlike the rest of the cottage, the bedroom had carpeting. It looked clean and plush, recently replaced. Aziraphale made sure no one was watching, sat down on the no longer bare mattress, easy enough to miracle Crowley's bedclothes out of their box and tailor them to fit, and removed his shoes and socks. He stood up again, wriggling his toes. Just then, something tiny, with soft paws and silky fur, scuttled across his right foot. Aziraphale shrieked, Crowley! There's a... Crowley appeared in the doorway, stricken, Body in the closet? No phone jack in the bedroom. What? Mouse! Aziraphale managed, his cheeks heating. Crowley relaxed. Oh, he said. Well, that's all right. They rarely hurt anybody, mice. I shall have to add traps to the grocery list, said Aziraphale, determined. You bloody well won't, Crowley said. Aziraphale blinked at him. I beg your pardon? That's 
bad enough, you killing hapless doves. I won't have you adding mice to the bloodbath. Very well, Israfel sighed, and hoped for Crowley's sake that the mouse wouldn't cross his path again. He had a dislike of the creatures. They tended to chew on vellum. Swear, Crowley said, holding out his hand. I said very well, repeated Aziraphale, irritated, and shook it. Now, Crowley said, come and give me a hand with that infernal machine, won't you? They'd scarcely been settled in for a week when the first curious neighbour turned up. Hello? Crowley asked, cracking the door only just enough to see the woman's kindly wrinkled face, a swathe of greying-brown hair and one crow-footed hazel eye. So sorry to trouble you, she said, and her accent was three times as posh as Aziraphale's, if that was even possible. My herald heard that the Pruitt woman's cousin finally managed to find a buyer. I thought I'd pop by and see how you were settling in, Mr... Crowley said Crowley, opening the door the rest of the way. Difficult to feel threatened, what when the woman was standing there holding what looked like a homemade Bakewell tart. Mr. Crowley, so nice to meet you. May I come in? Uh, said Crowley, stepping back. Yes, and you are? Oh, dreadfully sorry, said the woman, offering him her hand. Philippa Morrison, please call me Pippa. All my friends do. Peppa, Crowley repeated, starting as the tart was thrust into his hands. Thanks. He clipped the word to the roof of his mouth, hard, holding the tip of his tongue immobile. Pippa breezed past him and into the dining room, smiling benevolently at her surroundings. I must say, the cousin did a good job on renovation. This place was dreadful. No insult to Jean, rest her soul. All those cats running about, and the fishbowls everywhere. Cats? Crowley echoed. He couldn't help but think of the mouse. Good on it. Real survivor. She kept after them, Philippa reassured him. Very tidy, our Miss Pruitt. My, aren't you high-tech, she said, admiring the espresso machine. It looks new. Uh, one owner from, was all Crowley could think to say. You've been too terrified to use it, said Pippa knowingly. You'll have it figured out in no time. I've got it figured out already, said Aziraphale, raising his voice from the back of the hall. He'd been holed up in the bedroom all day, unpacking and cataloguing his books. It made a lovely cappuccino this morning. You missed it, my dear. You and your beauty sleep. Pippa raised her eyebrows at Crowley, pursing her lips in a not-displeased fashion. "'I didn't know you had company,' she said. "'He's not company,' said Crowley flatly. "'He lives here.' "'My mistake,' she said, winking. "'Would you mind introducing us?' "'Not at all,' said Aziraphale, emerging into the kitchen entirely too quickly for Crowley's liking. "'Pippa, what a pleasure!' The tart will prove most welcome. We've next to nothing in the house. Would you like a cappuccino? Some nice cocoa? Or would a cup of tea do the trick? 
Crowley busied himself fetching down three mugs. Whatever conversation was imminent, he wanted no part of it, not because he objected, but because he didn't trust himself. We decided it was time for a change of scenery, Aziraphale was saying to Pippa, already seated at the table across from their nosy visitor, who was busy slicing the tart. Crowley, fetch a few plates too. There's a good chap. What was I saying? Oh, scenery. We felt it was time for a change. Pippa was nodding enthusiastically. I know exactly what you mean. That's what brought Harold and me out here twelve years ago. He'd finally taken retirement. Crowley tapped the countertop, forcing the water in the kettle to an early boil. After a while, said Aziraphale in a low voice, the pace grows dreadfully exhausting. You poor darlings, said Pippa, thanking Crowley with a nod as he put a steaming mug in front of her. Well, maybe not you, she said to him. You're young yet. Brave of you to give up a good city job with lots of prospects. But that's love, isn't it? Crowley was tempted to drop Aziraphale's mug in his lap, but didn't. Instead, he set it down in front of the angel, hard, letting a bit slop over and onto the table. Aziraphale gritted his teeth. Absolutely, Crowley said, sliding into the chair next to her, putting on a disarming smile. But I've not given anything up. Don't be fooled. I work from home. Lucky boy, said Pippa. Crowley was almost shocked she didn't lean over and pinch his cheek. For the next hour, Crowley sipped his tea and picked at a slice of tart, while Aziraphale and Pippa chatted about everything, from the foul weather to the mouse in the bedroom. <laughs> Looks as if the cat's missed one, said Pippa, chuckling. I'm glad of it, Crowley muttered into his mug. He's something of an animal lover, said Aziraphale with an air of long-suffering affection. You don't usually see it in corporate types, Pippa remarked. What a catch! Aziraphale beamed, and Crowley wanted to smash something. Well, I'd best be off, Pippa said, hastily finishing her tea. Harold's expecting his supper soon. It's been lovely meeting both of you. I expect we'll run into each other quite often. In a village this size, that's the logical conclusion, said Crowley, deadpan. Pippa paused and tilted her head at him, as if she had only just noticed something. Light sensitivity, she said. My niece has got that. They make shades these days that look like normal glasses, you know. They're more compact and let people see your eyes. I'll keep that in mind, Crowley said. A crack was forming at the juncture of the mug's handle. He could feel it. How she'd failed to notice his white-knuckled grip, he'd never guess. While Aziraphale saw a still-chattering Pippa to the door, Crowley lingered at the table, pushing the last few crumbs of tart around on his plate. Why couldn't people just mind their own business? Furthermore, why couldn't people just let him figure out what his business was? Aziraphale finally returned, yawning. What a lovely woman! If you like them loose-lipped, Crowley snapped. You can be positively dreadful sometimes, 
said Aziraphale, giving him a look that he hadn't seen in a good decade or two, and that was unfortunately genuine. No manners. At least I have enough sense not to go around knocking on strangers' doors, Crowley seethed. What was it you were saying about forging connections? asked Aziraphale wearily. Scowling, Crowley got up and left the room with his damaged mug in hand. Maybe I was wrong, he said, but didn't bother to look back. Aziraphale had enough sense to know they had a problem on their hands, but what it was, exactly, he couldn't say, no more than he could have said whether he really lacked time or inclination as regard his erstwhile bookshop's mouldy moulding. To a point, whatever it was, it was making Crowley miserable. Over the next few weeks, Aziraphale organised as many distractions as he could possibly think of. Trips to the local farmer's market, every second Saturday of the month, a survey of the local shops, a new restaurant for dinner every few evenings. They ran out of restaurants inside a fortnight. Which was how they ended up back in the beachfront cafe, sipping cocoa and staring at the rain. Bad time of year for move, winter, said Crowley darkly. It'll be Christmas soon, Aziraphale realised aloud. I haven't sorted your gift. As long as it's not another espresso machine, you'll be fine. Have you given any thought to what you want? We're beyond surprises, I should think. Crowley shrugged. We could lay in a garden come spring. I'm not buying you seed packets, said Aziraphale. You start traumatizing them too young. Makes for good upbringing, Crowley said. Well-behaved sprouts. You haven't got enough jumpers. You've been chilled. All the damp sea air. I don't do jumpers. You might consider starting. Mandy, the girl from the counter, had wandered over and was standing beside their table, one hand frozen on Aziraphale's empty mug. She ducked her head and bit her lip. Am I interrupting? No, dear girl, said Aziraphale. I'll have another, thank you. Mandy glanced at Crowley, her wide blue eyes by now accustomed to their own reflection in his sunglasses. Aziraphale couldn't help but notice that she pitied him. It was upsetting. I'm finished, said Crowley, fishing in his coat pocket. He handed her what sounded like two quid. Thank you, sir, she said, as she always did, but now there was more affection in her pronunciation of sir than Aziraphale found proper. He wondered if Crowley had noticed. She likes you, said Aziraphale once she was gone, rather more than she ought. Crowley actually lowered his glasses a fraction and stared Aziraphale in the eyes. What she ought or ought not to do is her own business, he said. Leave her to it. Aziraphale's stomach twisted as Crowley pushed his glasses back up the bridge of his nose. She ought not to get her hopes up, is all I'm saying, said Aziraphale. Crowley snorted, not quite a laugh. <laughs> and why's that? Never goes well, said Aziraphale. Our sort and humans. 
Not that you'd know this from personal experience, retorted Crowley. Nor would you, Aziraphale replied, biting back the urge to attempt sarcasm. I don't know, Crowley said. Might be worth a shot. What? Giving it a try, while we're on this whole change of scenery kick, you understand. Crowley, she's sixteen, and you're, well, you're... Crowley stiffened, sitting back in his chair. I'm what? Aziraphale swallowed. Suddenly, Crowley's discontent made perfect sense. Not interested. One sharp eye-tooth crested briefly over Crowley's lower lip. No, he said rather candidly. I'm not. Not really. I just wondered what you'd say. Nothing favourable. Aziraphale said, his stomach unclenching. She's hardly your type. Crowley looked almost like he wanted to laugh, but like it might hurt if he did. What constitutes my type, do you suppose? Security, said Aziraphale. In for a penny, in for a pound. You prefer to feel safe. A sixteen-year-old waitress hardly fits the bill, no pun intended. Moody. Unpredictable. At least she's kind, Crowley said. That gave Aziraphale pause, but it was true, really. Crowley couldn't abide cruelty. I'm sorry, Aziraphale murmured. This conversation has been anything but. You still haven't answered my question, Crowley reminded him, smiling sadly. And it was hard then, unbelievably so, to gather the courage to say what they both knew. It's a terrible idea, said Aziraphale. I'll hurt you. I always do. But I feel safe, Crowley pointed out. I felt safe enough to follow you here. You felt safe enough to bring us here, Aziraphale corrected him. There's a difference. Crowley's lips twitched, and this time his smile was more hopeful than sad. Call it a lark, he said. Everyone thinks we're married as it is. True, said Aziraphale. I've been content to let them think so. Easier to fit in that way. Exactly, Crowley said. Now all we've got to do is... He trailed off and ended up staring at his hands against the battered tabletop. Try, said Aziraphale, reaching across to cover them with his own. Human relationships, Crowley reasoned, generally started off small. Hand-holding, quick kisses, that sort of thing. Unless one or more of the parties involved happened to be some sort of sex maniac in which case all bets were off, and it was straight into the sack. He severely doubted that either he or Aziraphale was prone to nymphomania. They didn't discuss it again for the remainder of the afternoon, although Aziraphale went out of his way to do a handful of inconsequential things he would rarely have done otherwise, such as pay the bill and hold the door for Crowley on their way out. When they got home, he hung both of their coats and put the kettle on. He even suggested they watch telly for a while and sat a bit closer than normal. It was, Crowley decided, an acceptable start, 
and curiously comforting, too. In fact, they might have gone on like this indefinitely, even quite happily, if not for what happened on the second Saturday in December, which was, in lieu of the farmer's market, an indoor craft fair at the town hall, where one was supposed to do one's holiday shopping. While Crowley was perusing some antique watch chains at a stall otherwise filled with bizarre thrift shop odds and ends, he overheard Aziraphale and Pippa engaged in conversation with the stranger. He'd seen this gentleman once before, as it happened, walking a gratuitously small dog. Used to run a bookshop in London, Pippa was saying. His collection's magnificent. Extraordinary, said the gentleman. Posh, too, even posher than Pippa. Outrageous. I wouldn't say that, said Aziraphale, too modestly, and even somewhat overprotectively. It's a handful of liturgical texts, hardly worth anyone's while. The gentleman chuckled, a deep, warm bass that made Crowley's skin crawl. You don't strike me as a collector of the insignificant, Mr. Fell. Don't let him fool you, Pippa said. I googled the titles. They're valuable. Crowley felt Aziraphale's flinch, as keenly as if he'd been standing right next to him, rather than five feet away. He stood up straight and put his hands in his pockets, head tilted. I'd like a private viewing, said the gentleman. If I may be so bold, I've some volumes of my own, and perhaps some of them might interest you. A trade, if you like, or... Angel, you've got to see this, Crowley said, insinuating himself between Aziraphale and Pippa, slipping both arms through the crook of Aziraphale's elbow, pulling him in as close as he dared. One of those chains is a perfect match for your old watch. Fifteen carat rose gold, he added, letting his breath ghost over Aziraphale's earlobe. Delicious. It might have remained purely a sham if Aziraphale hadn't actually shivered. I, uh, he said gratefully, one hand flying up to Cradle Crowley's wrist. Let's have a look. Ta. Crowley said, beaming smugly at the gentleman. And your little dog, too, he thought. Pippa thwacked him lightly across the backside with her clutch. You're a saucy one once you get past the shy stage, aren't you? I have no idea what you're talking about, said Crowley, and dragged Aziraphale over to the jewellery case. It was strangely thrilling, the fine tremors running through Aziraphale's upper arm and the way he hadn't let go of Crowley's wrist and was suddenly so fiercely possessive. This is dull, he said, resting his chin on Aziraphale's shoulder. Let's go home. Aziraphale hadn't been breathing for the better part of five minutes. Ah, yes, he said. Let's. Pippa, my best to Harold. Naughty! Pippa called after them, her grin positively wicked. She'll be the death of us, Crowley muttered, almost glad of the cold as they emerged into the dim early evening. Aziraphale laughed, the sound startling and wondrous. I hope not, my dear, he said, and kissed Crowley. If Crowley had been thinking clearly, his first notion might have been that this was a bit faster than he'd intended to proceed. On the other hand, Aziraphale's mouth coaxed his own half-open almost effortlessly, 
and he fancied he could taste everything that the angel had ever tasted. Chateau de Chem, 1784, dates from Baghdad. Fugu, prepared with a fatal mistake, on that trip they'd taken to Japan. Pippa's admittedly excellent Bakewell tart. The pomegranates of Eden. Crowley, Aziraphale murmured against his lips. Mm, what? Crowley ducked his head, nosing into the angel's collar, seeking out his pulse point. There. He kissed it lightly, just to see what Aziraphale would do. We were going home, said Aziraphale with slight difficulty. Crowley grinned and breathed him in, warm tobacco cotton wool. You gave me a fright, he said. The venom turned you a bit blue. Did you know that? Aziraphale took a shaky breath. Venom? Tokyo, three years ago. Never mind. In hindsight, it was funny. If you want sushi for dinner, you ought to just say so. I don't want anything for dinner, said Crowley, leading Aziraphale resolutely by the hand. I want to go home. The Bentley was exactly where they'd left it, clamped tyres and all. Finally, Aziraphale sighed, sliding into the passenger seat. Crowley fumbled his key into the ignition and sped the whole way back. On arriving home, neither one of them said a word, trailing into the cottage one after the other, as if it were just another evening upon which Crowley would ask where on earth the remote control had got off to, and then proceed to watch some truly awful telly, whilst Aziraphale caught up on the Saturday papers and then made the plant-watering rounds, because that was his job now. Aziraphale was aiming for normal, for careful, for safe. It was in the midst of plant-watering that Crowley crept up on him, catching Aziraphale by the wrist as he aimed the mister at a stubbornly dormant orchid's exposed roots. Aziraphale paused and turned to look at him, questioning, and his breath fled for the second time that day. No glasses, no glare, just Crowley's unblinking yellow gaze, hesitant and hopeful. I couldn't let them settle down for the night without supper, Aziraphale explained. They never sleep, said Crowley, his eyes flitting suspiciously from plant to plant. Aziraphale set down the mister and took Crowley's face in both hands, stilling him. I won't have this if it will hurt you, he said. I simply won't. Crowley's breath left him in a rush, half hiss and half laugh. Oh, if you'd had that bloke around, that would have hurt. What if I had him around for purposes of robbing him blind? Crowley's lips twitched as Aziraphale's thumbs played at their corners. Only if he honestly doesn't know the value of his books. Fools deserve what they get. So we do, Aziraphale murmured and leaned to kiss Crowley for the second time. They ended up in the bedroom because Crowley had issues with the sofa, history be damned. Aziraphale supposed he could understand, 
Popcorn down the cushions and leisurely afternoon naps were not quite the same thing as lovemaking. Crowley caught his eye just then, and what he saw there drew a flush across his fine high cheekbones. Damn them, too, as Irafael understood why Mandy wanted what she saw. Well, she couldn't have him. Jumper, Crowley said, fisting his hands in the wall. Get rid of it now. That's putting me off. Aziraphale struggled out of it with Crowley's hindrance, not help, he was never any help, bless him, and then turned his attention to the buttons of Crowley's expensive shirt. I recognise this, Aziraphale said, parting the linen slowly, tracing spectral lines with his fingertips down Crowley's pale chest. He let his thumb linger over one nipple, thoughtfully circling. From before, from the beginning... From the very first time you... changed. Has it really been so long? Crowley's breath returned to him, a brief, almost painful stutter deep in his chest. He struggled out of his shirt, disengaging Aziraphale's hand from its cautious explorations. Aziraphale took the opportunity to wish his own shirt away, hardly of a mind to let Crowley attempt buttons in a state of such agitation. He'd get worse or have second thoughts. He watched Crowley drop his shirt on the floor with a look of abject frustration and then pulled him close before he had the chance to work himself into a snit. Crowley shivered and melted against him, both arms folding tightly around Aziraphale's neck. His breath came fast and shallow against Aziraphale's jaw and when Aziraphale shifted his weight on the mattress just so... Crowley settled in his lap with a low, helpless moan. There. Oh, there. Thank you, said Aziraphale softly in his ear, working a hand in between them. Crowley's trousers were uncomplicated enough to tease open, at least. Crowley's erection had already managed to slip free of his shorts, damp and hard in Aziraphale's palm. Aziraphale stroked him once gently, kissing Crowley's groan right back into his mouth. He kept stroking, intoxicated, and, he was startled to discover, more than a little smitten. For... for what? Crowley panted, pushing forward into Aziraphale's hand. Aziraphale kissed him, braced his free arm about Crowley's waist, coaxing him as his thrusts grew taut and erratic. Not long now, not long at all, and oh, they were still half-dressed, and it was wonderful just to hold him like this, just to have him. Unexpected how it made Aziraphale's heart clench just to tell him so. Crowley came, clinging and shuddering, not at all quiet for what seemed like a very long time. Aziraphale squeezed his eyes shut, swallowing amazed laughter, holding him closer still, calming him, safe. Chapter 3 Outtake Number 1 it took forever for the shaking to stop, it seemed, like Crowley's body couldn't bear to let go of such stunning new information. 
Right, so that annoying thing you have to do every once in a while to get an unbidden heart on to go away. So much better when somebody you want more than breathing is doing it for you. To you? With you? Whatever. Okay, in summary, solitary orgasms are messy and not always much fun, but orgasms and kissing and touching Aziraphale? Spot on. Oh said Aziraphale, finally, between breath-hitching kisses, easing him down. He rubbed Crowley's back and picked fretfully at his trousers. They melted to nothing beneath the angel's careful fingertips, and with a sigh his own disappeared, so that there was nothing left between them, no more hope of hiding. Just look at you. And myself? A bit awkward, Crowley panted against Aziraphale's earlobe. Also a bit weird. He shivered, oversensitive by now, and more than a bit overwhelmed at the sensation of Aziraphale's prick crushed up against his belly. He bit curiously at the patch of skin beneath Aziraphale's ear, and the angel's hands clenched on his thighs. You don't give yourself enough credit, dear boy, said Aziraphale, his voice patient and fond in spite of how much discomfort he was probably in. Not nearly enough. It was the wonder of what he'd become with the fall, Crowley supposed, a curse millennia old turned blessing, instinctive shock at the simple pleasure of loving. You taste good, murmured Crowley at a loss, and licked the spot he'd just bitten. Aziraphale turned his head and tilted Crowley's chin up for a questioning kiss. My dear, mm, I want... Crowley wanted to ask, What? in response. But Aziraphale's hand was on him, just like earlier, was on both of them, so attentively insistent and, oh, for the sake of anything holy, he was turned on again. Aziraphale made a disappointed sound when Crowley disengaged himself awkwardly from the kiss and shifted back to sit on the duvet. The angel's body was as pale as Crowley's own, flushed with inconvenient splotches and bite marks where Crowley had left them in a frenzy up and down Aziraphale's neck and shoulder. Unthinking, Crowley reached out and touched the marks, both the ones he'd left and that rosy blush beneath the fair, sparse hair covering Aziraphale's chest. He crawled forward, stretching flat on the duvet, and curled an arm around Aziraphale's waist. Crowley buried his face in the angel's soft belly, breathing his own scent mingled with Aziraphale's arousal. He let his tongue dart out. Aziraphale shuddered. Bloody miracle this, he thought. Nothing less. If this is what you want, he said as clearly as he could manage, given that he was licking his way towards Aziraphale's hip bone, which was rather in the wrong direction. Now would be a good time to tell me, or I'll just keep going till I've tasted everything else. Save the best for last, if you know what I mean. Take the scenic route. Aziraphale sagged back on his elbows, stretching his legs out on either side so that Crowley could settle in closer between them. He watched with hungry fascination as Crowley offered him an assenting glance that he hoped wasn't shy, and abandoned the course he'd set himself on in favour of nuzzling what he'd so far purposefully neglected. 
The angel's trembling hands tangled roughly in Crowley's hair. Easy, Crowley said, not nearly as calm as he sounded, and took hold of Aziraphale's wrist while he carefully licked at the crease of Aziraphale's thigh. After a few seconds, Aziraphale's grasp let up slightly, so Crowley let go of his wrist, took hold of his erection, and guided the sensitive head to his scarcely parted lips. <sighs> Even if he never heard Aziraphale make that sound again, this once would have been worth it. Crowley settled in for however long it was going to take, and sucked hard. Once again, there was far too much information to process. Aziraphale still tasted good, a sentiment he couldn't quite quantify, only here it was different, darker and stranger and slightly surprising. Crowley hated that he couldn't see the angel's expression, but he could hear everything that he needed to hear, and then some. He'd have a crick in his neck by the end of it, letting Aziraphale move his hips like that, but whatever the angel needed for this to work, whatever Crowley could possibly do... Stop! Aziraphale was gasping, voice low and wrecked. Crowley, stop! It's too... It's the point, said Crowley, instantly regretting the fact that he'd pulled off in order to speak, because now Aziraphale was hauling him up by the shoulders with fearsome strength, and it was all Crowley could do not to fold over, fall on him, clamp down with limbs and teeth and suddenly unfurled, unsteady wings, and never let go which was more or less what happened. Crowley snaked his arms around Aziraphale's neck and tried to get said urgent point across, with lots of kissing, which hadn't really stopped, but it was no use. He could only make helpless whimpering sounds, to which Aziraphale responded with breathy half-sobs and, Oh God! Oh heaven and earth and everything! He never wanted to be anywhere else ever again but in this bed or at the very least wanted the guarantee of a bed, no matter where he happened to be, and Aziraphale always in it with him. When it all finally became too much again, and their bodies demanded completion, Aziraphale rolled Crowley onto his back, wings badly askew even as his own tore free, and drew Crowley's knees up snug against his ribs, and then pressed both hands against the small of Crowley's back, rocking them together in tight little thrusts that made Crowley squeeze his eyes shut and stifle an embarrassingly desperate wail. Was discorporation by sensory overload possible? Look what you've done, Crowley thought feverishly, his second climax already building, too fast and too fierce and too soon. Angel, just look what you've done. I'm ruined for anything else. Good food, better wine, a sunny afternoon with ducks. Forget it. Crowley twisted under him and dug his fingers in just beneath where Aziraphale's wings joined with his back, moaning in response to Aziraphale's coaxing tongue. No one can hear you. Not here. Aziraphale whispered, pressing their damp foreheads together, waves and wisps of hair plastered every which way. No one but me, and I should very much like... Crowley, look at me. Oh, if you just look at me. Crowley's groans turned to brief hysterical laughter, 
So I've got to keep my eyes on you. Never mind that all I can see is feathers. Oh, oh, Crowley. Don't move. Oh, my dear, stay right where you are. Crowley bit his lip and touched Aziraphale's cheek with hazy disbelief. This was really happening. He wanted to speak those same words just as much, just as badly. Let go, he panted, bracing himself, eyes squeezed shut as his resolve shattered. That's what I did anyway, and oh, fuck, I can't. I don't even, oh, please, Aziraphale. They were covered in each other, cum and stray feathers, sweat and startled tears. Aziraphale collected himself and rolled gently to one side, tugging Crowley along. Everything was dry and clean again, but the tremors hadn't stopped, and Crowley noticed with quiet astonishment that Aziraphale's pulse point was trip-hammering away just beneath his overworked jaw. It wasn't supposed to do that. They weren't. I'll say it before I can't, he whispered. Don't leave me here, Angel. Or anywhere else, for that matter. Don't get tired of this wretched, rainy stretch of shore like you got tired of Herculaneum and Beirut and Melbourne and Caracas and London. Never tired of London, Aziraphale cut in, snuggling him senseless. Never tired of you. Oh, Crowley replied, curling in tighter against him. Oh, then that's all right. Are you? Aziraphale asked at length, drowsily stroking Crowley's side. Crowley nodded and closed his eyes, content enough to follow his own advice. On waking, Crowley was certain of two things. One, that he was naked, and two, that he really hadn't dreamed the previous evening. The fact that he was draped over a warm, motionless Aziraphale was sufficient confirmation. Against all odds, the angel was asleep, and also naked. He wasn't so sure about the not-nymphomaniacs thing any more. He nuzzled Aziraphale's ear and pressed down with one knee, parting Aziraphale's thighs. Get up. I want a cappuccino. Mmm, Aziraphale murmured and then yawned. No. Crowley wriggled impatiently and all that got him was a fierce kiss. Fine, he sighed, settling into an easy rhythm as Aziraphale's legs came up to wrap around his hips. Fascinating how effectively sex could shut down all that rational thought. It explained a lot about humans, and a lot about why Crowley liked humans. They lived in the moment. I thought... Aziraphale gasped, both hands lost in Crowley's disarrayed hair. You wanted... Yes, Crowley managed, remembering this from last night, the part where Aziraphale had tensed and tightened his fingers in Crowley's hair before hauling him bodily back up for a kiss. And for the rest of it, oh... God! It was something of a pity Crowley couldn't taste him this time, he thought, driving down harder. But I want you first, see? 
Aziraphale groaned and went still under him, and then their bellies were warm and slick, and yes! Crowley muffled his shout in the pillow, dimly aware he'd all but brought the house down the night before. It was a good job their nearest neighbour lived a mile off. With his luck, Pippa would have heard him anyway, and if she'd not heard, she'd certainly know. The angel curled and uncurled his toes against Crowley's calf. Penny for your thoughts? Cappuccino, Crowley lied. A leisurely shower and a frantic mouse chase later, they'd found him lurking behind the toilet and Crowley had given him enough of a head start to vanish out of the door, Crowley got his coffee. It was nice, he supposed, if you liked that sort of thing, but there was too much foam, and Aziraphale had overdone it with the wonky cinnamon heart. At lunchtime they realised there wasn't any food left in the house. Aziraphale bribed Crowley into making a run for the nearest Tesco Express, with a snog on the sofa. Baby steps, Crowley thought. The cushions didn't seem offended, although they'd left some spectacular wrinkles in the leather. As it happened, Pippa found him in the produce section. Hi, Crowley said. He clung to a bag of carrots, terrified. Don't you look well rested, she said, smiling. Crowley wondered if he was even speaking to the same brazen, handbag-wielding harpy as the day before. I suppose, he said. But right now I'm hungry. Not to worry. Pippa replied, taking the carrots out of Crowley's hands. I'm about to put together a nice Sunday roast. Won't the two of you join us? Crowley felt something like relief blossom in his chest, and for the first time he smiled right back at her. Aziraphale would be cross at the unexpected change of plans, of course, but... Of course, he said brightly. I'll bring the espresso machine. For Christmas Eve morning, Aziraphale thought, it's dreadfully quiet. From his vantage point at the kitchen window, he could see the front walk, the narrow road and the sweep of crabgrass beyond. There was a fine shimmer of frost all over everything, even the sand, which glittered like diamond dust in the first pale light of dawn. Sleeping was pleasant, but Aziraphale fell out of it from time to time, unable to find his way back, in spite of Crowley snuggled up to him. The truth was, he sometimes missed the bustle of London. Two months in this tiny village, almost three, and what he found he missed the most were the fairy lights and the holiday rush. When he'd got up, through the back window he glimpsed white sails on the horizon, or something that looked an awful lot like sails. He reflected on what else he'd seen. A familiar figure plodding along in the surf, walking a ridiculously small dog. Aziraphale plucked a mug off the dish rack and miracled himself a cup of tea. No sense in using the kettle, not at this hour. He'd wake Crowley. And he did very much want Crowley at his best, what with the guests coming later, Pippa, Harold and their grown only child, Nicola. They'd paid the café a visit the day before and left a holiday card with forty quid in it for Mandy. The mouse perched on the window sill, 
a stale bakewell crumb clutched in its tiny paws. Shoo, whispered Aziraphale, mortified. It's not proper, you know. The creature just went on nibbling the crumb, its black eyes intent on Aziraphale. Mice live in fields, said Aziraphale. Thickets, places like that. The mouse twitched its whiskers and finished off the morsel, padding along until it found an easy point from which to leap down onto the counter and scurry over the far edge. That's a seaside mouse, said Crowley, yawning as he wandered into the kitchen. Hasn't got any thickets or fields. Nothing but sand and salt water as far as the eye can see. My manuscripts said Aziraphale worriedly. Once we've run out of crumbs... We'll get more crumbs, Crowley said, stepping up behind him. Think of it as similar to feeding the ducks. His arms snaked tentatively around Aziraphale's waist. The gesture was somehow far more intimate than anything they'd managed in exactly a fortnight of being lovers. But haven't we always been? Aziraphale wondered. Penny for your thoughts, Crowley whispered, resting his chin on Aziraphale's shoulder. The wainscot has to go, said Aziraphale, and turned his head for a kiss. Chapter 4 Outtake Number 2 Crowley yawned rubbed his eyes and blinked until the fine cracks in the ceiling plaster vanished. How'd I miss those? he wondered. Mystifyingly, Crowley's head hurt. About the time he remembered he'd had something to do with having drunk lots of whiskey at Pippa's last night, because Aziraphale had insisted on mixing up a proper 17th century punch bowl, he'd decided that actually going through with a hangover did not have the same merits as actually going through with... with... Aziraphale was dead to the world, one arm thrown across Crowley's chest. Happy bloody New Year, he thought, turning his head sideways against the pillow. In three weeks of sharing a bed and sweat and saliva and heaven knew what else... And, oh, yes, if Aziraphale was heaven, then heaven did know. This hadn't happened before. Crowley had rarely been the first one awake. Oddly fascinated, he stared. Aziraphale didn't sleep gracefully. In fact, the angels seldom did anything gracefully, except remain motionless for hours on end, save for turning pages. Crowley didn't even know if Aziraphale had tried sleep prior to their first night together. Even then, how could he have set about determining that, even if he'd been awake to watch? He'd reached until his palm came into contact with Aziraphale's bare hip, stroked inward and up until soft belly and peaked nipples gave way to collarbone, throat and cheek. He brushed flyaway strands of faintly peppered hair back from Aziraphale's forehead and wondered why open-mouthed snoring and a drool spot on the pillowcase made his chest tighten. Crowley closed his eyes and forced himself to breathe. He needed some air. He needed to think. 
Last night had been, well, strange, wonderful, outright terrifying. Crowley tensed, ready to rise just as he was, but quickly thought better of it. Aziraphale so rarely got to know the pleasure of an uninterrupted lion. Sure, he'd got the pleasure of eating down pat a long time ago, and was doing just about as well as Crowley, if not better, when it came to the pleasure of... pleasure. His body was taking his line of musing very much to heart, so he disassembled his molecules with a thought, never mind paranoia with regard to changing back, and slithered to the floor. A carpet tickled Crowley's belly as he nosed his way around the bed and glided into the hall. Wood, a hideous throw-rug that he hadn't been able to coax Aziraphale to part with, and then the cool rasp of kitchen tile. If the mouse was lurking anywhere about, he supposed he ran the risk of scaring it to death. Crowley flicked his forked tongue out in annoyance and shifted back to himself barefoot and off-balance as the chilly air hit his exposed human skin. He clothed himself just as quickly, including boots and a heavy wool coat. Outside, where it was even colder, he'd hopefully get some decent fresh air. Crowley liked the crunch of frost-bitten gravel beneath his soles. He surveyed the driveway and the Bentley covered in a fine sheen of ice and blew a puff of appreciative breath in its direction. He spun on his heel and headed around the side of the cottage, keeping a brisk pace. The front walk had barren flower beds lining either side, so he imagined hellebore, crocus and lily of the valley. Maybe just loads of hellebore. They came in enough solemn colours and they knew how to cower nicely. Now there's something, Crowley thought, pausing in front of the sliding glass door that served as the back entrance. He'd known the garden shed existed, of course, in a kind of theoretical I'll-get-to-it-when-I-get-to-it kind of way. He crossed the small yard and picked his way through the remnants of weeds, broken-down stalks and frozen earth, wondering what, exactly, this Pruitt woman had planted, and then neglected, such that it had died so spectacularly. Catnip, Crowley reckoned. Lively now, he muttered, kicking a patch of sorry-looking nettles. Inside the dusty, cobweb-festooned shed, Crowley found an assortment of tools that suggested a strange conglomeration of hobbies on the part of all previous owners combined. The rake, shovel and spades all looked relatively new, or at least in fairly good nick. Crowley could guess easily enough that those had belonged to Pruitt. There was a tin watering can and a stack of empty plastic flower pots, plus a couple of terracotta window boxes. He found a rusty scythe lurking inexplicably in one of the far corners. Maybe those hippies had pretensions of full-scale farming, Crowley mused. Aziraphale would convince him to plant herbs in the window boxes, he just knew it. Wielding one of the spades, Crowley stepped back out of the shed. He crouched next to the exterior wall that faced the cottage, shielded from the wind and out of view from anyone who might come strolling along the shore. The ground was unyielding at first, resistant to Crowley's prodding with the point of the spade. 
He hacked loose a clod of root-laced soil and crumbled it between his fingers, sniffing warily. Clay and chalk traces with a hint of salt. He set down the spade and leaned against the shed's rough planking, considering his options. Ornamental plants, certainly. He'd be the envy of the neighbourhood, come hell or high water, although he hoped for neither. Crowley could plant vegetables, he supposed, foodstuffs he could keep in line with the threat of inevitable slaughter. He might even take up cooking again, given Aziraphale's newly expanded repertoire of showing appreciation. Crowley couldn't believe they'd got so drunk in Pippa's presence, much less her husband's. He also couldn't believe he'd managed to drive them home at one thirty in said state, without wrapping the Bentley around a telephone pole. But that was ineffability for you. They'd stumbled inside, laughing, and Aziraphale had yanked him in by the lapels no sooner than they'd got the door shut. My dear, he'd slurred, my dear Crowley. Crowley had just kissed him, because whatever it was that alcohol was supposed to make more difficult for humans, it was making the aforementioned whatever all the easier for them. They'd shed clothes haphazardly the whole way to the bedroom, just like in those horrible American rom-coms that ended up on late-night telly. And then they'd been on the bed, all flushed skin and fierce kisses. And then... Hissing, Crowley pressed the heel of his palm to the front of his trousers, using his free hand to steady himself against the shed. He'd come out into the cold to clear his thoughts, and instead he was replaying the memory of something he ought to have done much less recklessly and much more sober. But Aziraphale had insisted. And then, simply put, he'd fucked Aziraphale, Never mind that neither one of them had bothered to work out the logistics this way around, or how badly his hands had shaken on the bottle of lubricant as Aziraphale had stashed in the nightstand, or the fact that he hadn't lasted two minutes in the tight heat of Aziraphale's body, and somehow even that pathetic brevity had been enough to make the angel come shouting. Crowley shakily got to his feet, fumbling at the belt of his coat. Not so easy to get at his trousers now that he wasn't crouching, and of course he'd have been the completest, even in summoning clothes out of the ether. Ten o'clock in the morning, and the rest of England was still passed out in a drunken stupor, Aziraphale included, and he couldn't even bring himself to impose upon the angel's rare sleeping instinct for the sake of getting off. Oddly, there was something thrilling about being where he was. The rough wood splintered under Crowley's fingernails as he leaned harder into the shed, the wool covering his forearm and elbow catching in even finer snarls as he stroked himself. His coat hanging open would hide a multitude of sins, or at least the one he'd rucked up his shirt and unzipped his trousers to commit. His breath escaped him in ragged puffs, and he drove harder into his hand, wondering how he'd only grudgingly accepted this activity before, and why now. Except it was too late for him to retroactively register the soft crunch of footfalls across the ruin of a garden behind him, too late for him to flinch from the steadying arm that slid around his middle, although he wouldn't have anyway, 
because he knew whose it was, too late to prevent Aziraphale's hand from gently tugging him off task and taking his oversensitized flesh in a sure, tight grip. Crowley gasped and came, his knees buckling, but Aziraphale held him upright, with a breathy kiss tucked into the prickly, sweat-damp collar of Crowley's coat. "'You'll want to turn it under the soil, of course,' Aziraphale said. "'Very Roman of you.' "'You mean very accidental,' Crowley replied, twisting around greedily for a kiss. He used the distraction to clean and put his clothing back together, at which point it was easy enough to turn his body and knock Aziraphale back against the shed. "'I didn't think—' Aziraphale began, apparently thinking better of whatever he'd been about to say, and licking his lips as he watched Crowley sink to his knees and undo the lowest few buttons on Aziraphale's camel-hair coat. "'Didn't think you'd like—' "'Out here?' Crowley asked, nuzzling his way into Aziraphale's trousers, which he'd already got open. He smelled sleep— and sweat on the angel's skin, poked in careful fingers to coax the head of Aziraphale's erection free. It's New Year's morning. There's a shed at your back and a cottage to mine. You do the maths. Note it, breathed Aziraphale, and his perfect nails scraped at the wood. You're going to let me finish this. Crowley said, licking away the salt dampness that had already painted a smear across his cheek when Aziraphale hadn't been able to keep from jerking his hips. You haven't yet. Guilty of thwarting all round. Crowley, I don't... Oh, don't... Don't stop. Never, Crowley would have said, but it was more of a hum as he sucked and angled his head, it was true that a jaw hinge and a throat like his had advantages, not to mention the lack of a gag reflex as long as he was on his guard. He wrapped one arm around Aziraphale's waist and twined his fingers with the angels at his shoulder. Oh, my love, Aziraphale gritted out, and whether it was that or the bitter heat that hit the back of his tongue that made him choke and pull off, he couldn't have said. Crowley felt faintly dizzy, but he had enough presence of mind to spit approximately where his own seed had already frozen, dark and indeterminate, on the ground. He maintained his hold on Aziraphale's hand as the angel sank down to sit beside him, boneless, back against the shed. They were both shaking. It definitely wasn't from the cold. Forgive me. Aziraphale wheezed, running his fingers through Crowley's hair. Nope, Crowley said, groping around for the spade. He found it half stuck under Aziraphale's bottom and yanked it free. Don't want to, he added, making quick work of turning the evidence under. What was it to a prosperous harvest comes spring? Aziraphale drew Crowley snug against his shoulder, cradling him. He began, About what I said. It's not like that time in Tedfield. I didn't intend... I felt it, Crowley blurted, his words muffled in Aziraphale's coat. Aziraphale sucked in his breath. 
And now? I still do, Crowley said, burrowing closer. It wasn't the place. It was you. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 5.